Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez and today we are going to cover and continue the Gwendy series and uh, today I will be covering Gwendy's Magic Feather. Now, pretty interesting, something I actually wanted to talk about in the last episode where I covered Gwendy's, uh, Gwendy's Button Box is this story, Gwendy's Button Box was a collaboration between Stephen King and Richard Chismar. I had mentioned that at the beginning. I had made a point in my notes to talk about um, how I find it interesting when two authors collaborate. It's not something I've really gotten a chance to experience too many times. A great example of it done really, really well is Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman writing Good Omens. Maybe you've seen the Amazon Prime show Good Omens, which is a really great ad adaptation of the book. I highly recommend reading Good Omens, especially if you want to see just how two writers can kind of work together, like so um, so synergistically, like it works so perfectly. Like you really don't even see the difference between their two writing styles. They kind of melt so well. It's almost like they're feeding off of each other, like as they wrote chapter by chapter. So I had read quite a bit about how Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman had written Good Omens, and I found that they were like going chapter by chapter. Like one would write a chapter, then they'd send it to the other one so he could be up to date. So they would go chapter by chapter on the story throughout the entire thing. So Good Omens is a little bit longer of a novel. It's an actual novel instead of these shorter novellas, even though Gwendy's Magic Feather says it's a novel. I would still put it under the novella um, cap. Wikipedia still lists it as a novella, too. Not saying that Wikipedia is the... Uh, is the end-all be-all as far as decisions with what's a novel and what's a novella. But regardless of that, I would consider it more in the novella anyway. So it makes sense that with the amount of story they're trying to write with Good Omens that they're going to each take chapter by chapter. And Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman are just both so incredible in their own unique ways that it just melds so well. Terry Pratchett has that humor side, which Neil Gaiman, if you delve into his stuff a little bit more, you'll find that he does have that side of him too. It's not as, there's not all like the dark kind of American gods or even like creepy stuff like Coraline or the, um, would be another good example of that. Uh, oh, I can't think of that one off the top of my, Neverwhere, that would be a good example of a very humorless, almost very depressing but also a very good book uh, by Neil Gaiman. So Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, such a great example of two authors collaborating to write a story. So that kind of got me fascinated with how King and Chismar wrote Gwendy's Button Box. First of all, because it's so short. And second of all, because... Stephen King writing anything with anybody is is intriguing to me. I believe The Talisman is also a collaboration that Stephen King did, and that book is pretty long. I forget who the guy that wrote The Talisman with him is, but doesn't really matter right now. But that's a longer book, and it would make sense um, that they could kind of work with each other. So I was curious about that, right? And I meant, wanted to talk about it in the last episode for Gwendy's Button Box, Glad I didn't, kind of, I guess, because uh, looking, starting with this book, I, it had a foreword. The foreword was written by Stephen King. And so I read it, obviously. 
And uh, it, he kind of talked about how Gwendy's Button Box was a story that he just kind of started and didn't really, uh, he, he kind of lost steam with it and it just became a, a file on his computer. And one day Chismar had gotten in touch with him wanting to do like a round writing, round robin type writing session with him and some other writers. And King wasn't really into that, but they still wanted to collaborate with each other. So he dug up Gwendy's button box and Chismar actually finished it. So that's kind of how that story was written. And so I finished the foreword and at the very end he has some sentence along the lines of that he felt comfortable leaving Gwendy in the hand of in the hands of Chismar and that's when I realized before I actually had started Gwendy's Magic Feather that this book was actually just written by Richard Chismar. So I would say that he does a really good job taking Castle Rock and taking Gwendy and kind of giving them the justice they deserve. Gwendy's not as big of a deal because even King mentions Gwendy's just as much Chismar's now, I'd say, as she is uh, King's as far as a character goes. But the big thing is Castle Rock and using lore and parts of the Stephen King mythos, I suppose you could call it... Um, and be kind of accurate with it, but he, he does a really great job. It's not like it seems like Stephen King, but he kind of stays in that same vein, I would say, where he doesn't, it, like, I didn't necessarily say, like, this is abruptly different than King's writing. And I wouldn't say that the story is really out of the realm of what I would expect out of King either. It had some interesting aspects. What I was really excited about was that it had aspects of the story that, Gwendy's button box didn't have not like necessarily in like things I could relate to but more so in the aspects of like it was different I was just worried that it was going to be a like a very similar story I didn't actually first of all realize the button box was going to play a role because it's called Gwendy's magic feather uh but right away Gwen, if we jump right into the story itself right now, Gwendy is, picks up in 1999, so she's in her late 30s. At this point in her life, she has successfully written several books that became pretty famous. She ended up uh, getting the Hollywood and then some movie companies wanted to buy the rights to several of her books to make movies out of, so she had become popular, even more popular because her books were being made into movies. Along with that, one of her friends who had died of AIDS, uh, she was really passionate about the AIDS epidemic at the time, so she ended up making writing a book about that, which didn't get a lot of response, and then she ended up making a documentary about it, which ended up becoming really popular as well, and I believe that was kind of Gwendy's first dive into into the uh, political world. So at eventually, at some point, they don't go. He doesn't go a lot into this, especially because he's. He's kind of trying to breeze over this part to get into the actual story itself, especially because the book is so short. So eventually she becomes a congresswoman. She's uh, splitting her time between Castle Rock and Washington, D.C. Her husband, Ryan, is a photojournalist who's kind of like going in and out of what seems like uh, like civil wars throughout the world or just like smaller uh, conflicts that are going on throughout the world and doing, um, you know, taking photos for them, obviously, and being a photojournalist. So pretty interesting. And I thought that uh, they did a good job. Like when she be when I figured out she was a congresswoman, I, I'm not a 
politics guy, so I was like, this could, if this is going to take up the majority of the book, this this might be something that I'm not super into. And if you listen to the last episode, I did like Wendy's Button Box. Uh, I thought it was really good. I thought that, I thought that it was just enough. I thought, I, I think that they, I don't know how much more they could have gotten out of the story without increasing her age, which I think that was a wise decision, kind of jumping to more of, to a significantly more mature person for the second part of the story. So, Gwendy's magic feather continues into her life uh, as a congresswoman. It kind of stops, or it, she, uh, in the Congress goes on like their holiday break, and that's when she goes back to Castle Rock. And at that point, she returns to Castle Rock, kind of having this, not kind of, but having this major issue with uh, these two girls becoming, be, who, these two girls who were abducted. And since she's like, uh, like basically famous in Castle Rock and has this political position, she like finds it necessary to butt in and kind of try and help with the sheriff, or at least like, uh, like show her concern as the you know a representative from the state. So she is directly trying to help the sheriff in a way I would say to solve like the mystery. So the book has like this whole mystery aspect that's not super important I guess for the overall like the overall story is about the button box. So to really get to that eventually the button box comes back into her possession even before she leaves her castle rock and it kind of just throws her for a giant loop again it's uh it's this whole thing of like the button box can cause chaos if a human chooses it to cause chaos like she does like it's used in the first book only once but without it being used it can actually cause a lot of good so it's kind of interesting so that is basically Gwendy. Uh, I'm going to kind of wrap it up there as far as where she's at and her relation to the button box just because it does play a pretty significant role within this story. And uh, again, I like that this one's accessible again, just like the last one, because it is so short, which I think it allows people to jump into kind of a crazy out there Stephen King type story without actually having to full-on commit to those those hundreds of pages that's I think some people are kind of turned away with so along with all of uh these aspects of Gwendy she comes home her mother you find out has had cancer for the last several years so that plays a pretty major role in the story as well so overall I thought Gwendy's button or Gwendy's button box and Gwendy's magic feather were really good books. I didn't think they were super stellar. I was I'm really obsessed with the fact that Richard Ferris is Randall Flagg, as I know you probably, if you listened to the last episode, understood my excitement with that. He does make another appearance with this in this book. To be honest, I think that if this book was really long, like even like four or five hundred pages, if he wouldn't have made an like he doesn't show up till the end of this book, which does not ruin every anything, unless of course that was the reason you were going into reading it, which kind of was the reason I was. He doesn't really make an appearance until he doesn't make an appearance at all, actually, until the very end. And if that was if this was going to be a four hundred page book and 
the thing I was waiting for wasn't going to happen till the end. In that way, I think I would have been a little disappointed with the series, but I think at the, with the length, the little you know quick story they're getting out of it, I think that I I'm I'm pretty well satisfied with with where he took it, what he was able to 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 do with Castle Rock, staying in that same kind of like something's off about this, like everything in Castle Rock or everything in in any of Stephen King's made up uh, fictional main towns. They're always kind of just like, just south of okay. And some of them are significantly south of okay, and some of them kind of teeter through both, which Castle Rock is a good example of that as well. So would I recommend it? Yeah, if you want to kind of dip your toes into this style of writing, I think it's interesting. I think I was pretty intrigued by the first book because it was, you know, a co-written piece where this one was just Chismar. I think he did a good job. I think he covered Castle Rock well. I think that the part that Richard Ferris did play a role in, it was well written. I think that he could do it again. And I think that really the main thing I would want to see out of this story is more of that. More of the magical aspect of it not being so much of a mystery. I do feel like you were revealed a little bit more in this story than you were in the first one, which I like that hidden aspect of the first one, but I think what I was looking for out of the second one was a little bit more of a payout. But with that said, that is not what writing is necessarily always about. Uh, a lot of the time, or even most of the time, I would say that writing is about the journey. Stephen King taught me that lesson probably early in in me starting to read a lot of fiction writing especially in the sci-fi fantasy world i think that tolkien taught me that very early on as well that lesson of it's not about where we end up it's about how we how we got there essentially and stephen king's dark tower is a huge huge example of that i guess the point i'm i i think i've just grown to love the excessive story where it's like some people would be like it's just too much why do i need to know that much like that that chapter was pointless i didn't need to know about this conversation this guy had with his grandmother or whatever it happens to be completely made that up completely arbitrary example but i like that and i could see why some people don't but i i just feel like when i can get a care when i can when an author can create this character that to me in my head, like he's real, she's real. And it's not that Gwendy wasn't that. It's just that I guess none of the other characters were. And that's what I love about author like Stephen, authors like Stephen King, Neil Gaiman. These guys are so good at creating the, the characters outside of the main character can have just as much of a background and that is such a beautiful thing, and that's what draws me to that style of writing a lot. With all that said, and with uh, especially with those comments on Richard Ferris, uh, the this book, which I didn't mention earlier, which I always do at the top of the show, is what preceded it and what uh, what preceded it. So, what preceded this book was 2019's "The Girl on the Porch," and uh, it will be proceeded by Gwendy's final task so there's actually going to be a I, what I assume is the final one it's called Gwendy's final task it's going to come out next year in 2022 hopefully earlier in the year especially because uh, I'm pretty fresh with this story right now I'd like to uh, top it off but with all that said obviously a connection to Randall Flagg which makes it a connection to the Dark Tower the cover of 
Gwendy's final task is a, like a, a field of roses, like a smaller field of roses, not like the one that if you've read The Dark Tower, like when you read about that field of roses, you imagine like a like a cornfield of roses. Uh, but a field of roses with a, a, a dark tower in the background. So I'm hoping that I do get that payoff. If I do get that payoff, accumulative, if that one's about the same length, this would end up being about a 500-page story. And if that one pays off... I think that my whole opinion on this could change for the better. Not saying, again, I, I liked, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good, but I think that it could definitely, uh, it has potential. I'm curious if that one's written by both of them or if it's written by Chismar because I, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about somebody else writing another Dark Tower book. I do feel comfortable with Robin Firth. I believe that was the name, Robin Firth the man who wrote the Dark Tower comic books, several of those stories were written from him based on things he had learned from Stephen King about the Dark Tower world. But I would like to, uh, I'm curious, and I can't wait for that one to come out, just because I am fascinated by the stories. Not my favorite, but I'm still uh, intrigued enough to finish off. I do just, I did just realize that I did not mention anything about the magic feather. And to be honest, I don't feel obligated to. You don't need to know about the magic feather unless you're going to read this book. The button box is still important. You need to know that. But the magic feather, it, uh, it's important enough to name it, to title the book after it. But I'm going to leave it at that as far as uh, as far as the magic feather goes because it's real to explain it would just be uh, I wouldn't even say ruining a part of the story but something that you should learn through the story absolutely so looking into the future of of beyond the bindings here I got a couple lined up I think our next episode is going to be the ra the first part of my of myself reading dune the dune series so i'm almost finished with the third dune book children of dune i'm gonna cover it i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna get out of it it might be a longer episode or it might be actually a shorter episode it's a pretty daunting story to talk about because even if you just type in dune to wherever you search wherever you listen to your podcast there's a ton of dune podcasts so i'm not trying to just like break down the stories i never try and do that too much I just want to analyze some of the key details of Dune. And then I really want to start jumping into some some new genres. I think that uh, I, I when I first started the show, I was trying to not abuse the Stephen King stuff too much. And right now, it's just kind of my kick. It's a good time of year for some reason to read this stuff. So I'm kind of on this kick. And I really shouldn't let the podcast, you know, control what I want to read. But at the same time, I personally want to switch it up. So I think I'm going to uh, maybe do a mystery here. I never really got into mystery books. I read like a couple Hardy Boys books when I was younger. And it was just like, so they just tell the same story, but with different bad guys every time. That's I guess what uh, 10-year-old Max thought of the Hardy Boys. But yeah, I think maybe a classic mystery would be uh would be in order i think that would be something i've never done before so maybe go back to some of the classics i know i hit a couple ernest hemingway books so maybe i'll hit uh maybe not hemingway i'm not really in a hemingway mood right now so for some reason I, I relate that to spring 
I don't know. I guess it's maybe because the last time I was covering Hemingway, it was definitely during the spring. But regardless of that, want to switch it up. Uh, not I will. I might switch it up to more fantasy. It's just a new author. Who knows? It depends on how I'm feeling. I think that's the most successful way to uh, to make the keep the podcast interesting and continue uh, enjoying it myself. So I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. Please make sure you're following Beyond the Bindings on Instagram. Uh, share it if you want to. Share it, don't share it if you don't want to. Doesn't really matter if you have friends who like to listen to podcasts and like to read books. Maybe they want to check it out. So I w- I would love it if you shared it. It'd be fantastic. But. I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bindings.